Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Landides, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for this week's episode. On the show today, it is going to be just me flying solo. Unfortunately, the fighter interviews that I tried to make happen did not end up happening for a variety of reasons. Uh, And then Josh's schedule just didn't work out with mine. So for the the third episode in a row, it's just going to be me me all by my lonesome. But that's all right. I I feel like I can handle it. And I'm excited about what we're talking about today, which is the biggest moments in Strikeforce history through where we're at chronologically in the existence of, of the promotion, which is the last event we covered was the June 18th, 2011 card, which was Overeem versus Verdun, took place in Dallas, Texas. And so what were the biggest moments in Strikeforce history leading up uh, to, to that event? And, and so that's what we're going to walk through today. And I'm excited about this. This is fun for me. I got to do some digging into what we've covered so far. Again, what were the big moments? So let's just dive in. I mean, the first for me, it's the big it really is the biggest moment. I, I know that. There were other things that you could argue, oh, these were bigger, but Shamrock versus Gracie, which took place in 2006, the very first Strike Force MMA event, over 18,000 people, a sellout for a, a the first ever California sanctioned MMA event. I mean, you don't get bigger than Frank Shamrock in the main event in San Jose. Come on, taking on a Gracie, Caesar Gracie. Uh, it was huge. It just, it was huge. And while the fight did not live up to the hype, um, it, it was still just a massive event and it was the birth of, you know, legalized or sanctioned MMA in the state of California. I was there in person with my brother-in-law had such a great time. It was awesome. I was so excited that we had a local promotion that was going to be doing big things. And, you know, Strikeforce never actually reached that height again, as far as attendance goes, they never uh, hit 18,000. They got 16,000, 15,000, 14,000 at, at some of their events, but uh, they never ever got, you know, they never broke even 17,000 again. So it, it was just so big. So to me being the, 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 you know, the first one, the most well attended one, you know, San Jose's adopted son, uh, Frank Shamrock. I mean, it just, I, to me, that's the biggest event. So uh, it's kind of kind of unfortunate that you know that was to me the biggest event when you had uh, another you know seven years of of events that took place, but you know it was uh, it, it was a big deal. It's hard to hard to top that one, but we're gonna walk through the rest of these. Frank Shamrock versus Phil Baroni, which was on actually on pay per view. That was early on uh, in the in the history of the promotion in two thousand seven and. One of my favorite fights to watch. If you've never watched that fight and you're an MMA fan, you definitely should go back and watch it. But not just watch the fight, but watch some of the buildup. Watch some of the videos um, that were made in promotion of the event. Not Strikeforce sanctioned, but trying to use YouTube and social media to try to promote the event and, and to watch how that all went down and just turned into this massive grudge match and you know, Phil Baroni at best is a, a middling fighter. I mean, just just being honest with you, he's never been a true, you know, great MMA fighter. He's been an entertaining MMA fighter for sure. And, you know, the the Naiba and, you know, big mouth and big hands, he can really hit, he can really hurt you. And so, you know, he was a, a great a great opponent for Frank Shamrock. And if you go back in the archives, uh, I think our first interview with Frank, or I, th- I think our second, actually, interview with Frank, we talked about this fight and just, it just was such a, a, you know, a psychological warfare experiment in a lot of ways and just so entertaining. It's so fun to watch that fight and Frank pointing at him and gesturing and, you know, eventually putting him to sleep like he said he would. It's a great entertaining fight to watch, so I highly recommend that one. 
This next one is kind of more of a sleeper, uh, a sleeper pick. George Santiago's one night middleweight tournament win, uh, where they had they staged a, a one night four man middleweight tournament. George Santiago knocked out Sean Salmon in one of the most brutal knockouts uh, that you'll see. Although it was kind of weird that it went went the way that it went down when the the it was a flying knee, but it ended up being a flying shin. The the knee didn't really connect, but the shin did. And it just, it seemed to hit more of the side of Salmon's neck. It was kind of weird, but he was out and it was a scary moment actually for a while there. He ended up being okay, uh, but but huge win for Santiago. And then in the second fight, he took on Trevor Prangley. Prangley had fought to a, a referee's decision, which was interesting, uh, and, and in a fight with Falonico Vitale. And so Prangley was, you know, Santiago's fight, I believe it was 21 seconds, if memory serves. So he was much fresher than Prangley, who had gone through a, a you know a full war uh, with, with Falonico Vitale. And then Santiago put a hurting on Prangley and used a knees to the body and strikes to to get the TKO win and win that one night tournament and got a nice nice title belt for that. So uh, pretty cool. And I got to interview George on the podcast. If you want to go back in the, the the archives and check that out, and we talk about him preparing for that and what it was like fighting twice in one night and, and all of that. Then we fast forward a bit. Kung Lee versus Frank Shamrock. This was seen as a true passing of the torch. Again, it was in San Jose. Drew over 16,000 fans. Uh, you know, honestly, well, well, actually, we'll come back to that. We will come back to that. I've got a, a point that I want to make on that. But Kung Lee had been built up carefully. His his uh, the, the, the quality of his opposition had gone up and up and up and up. But nothing too crazy. He was still new to the sport even though because he had done uh, Sancho and, and so that involves uh, takedowns and kickboxing. So he, he did, ha- you know, so takedown defense and that sort of thing was part of his game. He was a very good wrestler. So, and obviously his, his level of kicks have never really been, uh, you know, equaled in a lot of ways. It's just so unique to the sport. And there's some that, you know, Anderson Silva, and there's some others that have obviously done some great things with, you know, kicking, but, Kung style was just so amazing and so powerful. And so to take on a guy like Frank Shamrock, who was admittedly in the twilight of his career, I think it would have been probably a different story if Frank was younger and less miles on the body and not as beat up, but still a very, very entertaining bout where Frank's, it sounded like, according to Kung, we interviewed Kung and it sounds like uh, he felt like the, the bone had been cracked in Frank's forearm early on in the fight. And then it was really broken, I believe in the third round and, just really, really in bad shape, and so they they stopped the fight. But just such an electric atmosphere, such an entertaining bout. So that's definitely one worth checking out. The next moment that really comes to mind is the first Josh Thompson, uh, Gilbert Melendez trilogy. Uh, this was Josh winning the title in in a uh, in a bout with Melendez, a lightweight title bout, and such an entertaining bout. You know, there's a lot of times where you know fights that go the full three or five rounds aren't quite as you know entertaining sometimes, but. Then you have ones like this where you could have watched them fight another five rounds and, and still been on the edge of your seat. I mean, it was just such a great fight, so so back and forth. But at the end, Thompson had clearly won, and Melendez gave him his respect. And, you know, that was uh, that was great to see. So, And it would be the first of three fights between the two of them. We'll, we'll discuss the second one momentarily. Uh, but then you have Nick Diaz versus Frank Shamrock. We talked about the passing of the torch uh, previously with Kung versus Frank. In a lot of ways, Nick versus Frank was really a passing of the torch because uh, Nick had the the talking ability that that Frank didn't really. Or I'm sorry, Nick had the talking ability that Kung really didn't have. Nick could could match Frank a lot of ways in terms of his ability to sell a fight with his mouth and just how uh, you know just just how much he could rile 
uh, his opponent, although Frank said it didn't really mess with him too much. But uh, that was, again, a very very good build up to a fight and then a very good fight as well. But Diaz was just way too much for Frank, even at a higher weight class than he would end up uh, fighting. And you got to remember Nick Diaz was fighting at 155 in the UFC and then 160 in elite XC. And then he gets a strike force and he takes some, you know, takes this, uh, this, this catch weight bout at 179 pounds. And then he ends up settling in at welterweight. And that's where he, he was at for quite a while. But, uh, yeah, just another, you know, passing of the torch really from Frank and, and a really, really big win for, for Nick Diaz and, and a really entertaining bout to watch. And then the next one, Strikeforce truly made history with Carano versus Cyborg, 14,000 in attendance. I was among them uh, in San Jose. This was the first major MMA event in North America to be high, uh, headlined by women and drawing. I mean, 14,000 in attendance on top of the card, and the place was electric. I remember being there, and just the place just was, I mean, it was massive. It was huge, and and it was great to see them put on a, a wonderful performance. Uh, got stopped, I believe, with one second left in the first round with Cyborg. Carano had, had a couple moments, but Cyborg was just way too much for her, and and a big moment there. And I'll, 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 uh, I'll mention that. You know, this was the end of Carano's career. On uh, ironically, this was August fifteenth of two thousand nine, and uh, you know we thought we'd see her back. And she, we actually just covered. She was the the last event that we covered, June of two thousand eleven. She was actually signed, sealed, and delivered to fight on that card. Had some medical issues and ended up pulling out. And and then she was supposed to potentially fight Ronda Rousey in two thousand fourteen in the UFC, and that ended up falling through because of of issues with Dana White. And then, you know, she's she's an actress staying 38 years old and done, you know, fighting hasn't fought in, in you know, <laughs> we're talking 12 years. So she's done. And so it's it's kind of crazy that, at you know, again, she's 38 today. So she was only 26 when that bout took place. And to be done at 26 after kind of helping, not kind of, but definitely helping put women's MMA on the map uh, when she was elite X, at, with an elite XC, it, you know, just just a big deal and, and and so much bigger that the fact that women could main event an MMA card in 2009 and draw 14,000, that's a huge deal. So awesome. And hats off to them. The next really big moment for me was Fedor. Uh, to, he'd signed with Strike Force. Obviously, that's not an in-cage moment, so to speak, but he signed with Fedor. So we'll put it to Fedor versus Brett Rogers, which was his Strike Force debut. And sadly, the only win that Fedor ever got in Strike Force. And Brett Rogers had his moments in there, but Fedor was able to uncork that right hand and put Rogers down and get the big win and, you know, kind of put a seal of, pr- of approval on strike force that, Hey, this was the big name that signed that, that, that Dana couldn't get the one that he couldn't sign the one that got away. And he went to strike force. And of course, Dana was pretty happy to see, I'm sure uh, Fedor go uh, one and then lose three straight in, in strike force before being done with the promotion. Then, of course, the miracle in San Jose, which this was a massive strike force evolution in late 2008. This was a massive uh, comeback in front of almost 15,000 fans. Scott Smith from nearby Sacramento taking on San Jose's Kung Lee. And uh, we also had, uh, we can't forget Melendez versus Thompson too, which was won by Melendez. Another great fight where Thompson put on a clinic and I'm sorry, Melendez put on a clinic and Thompson showed Melendez a lot of respect after the fight. But then in the main event, or, I'm sorry, yeah, that was the main event. In the co-main event, really the most memorable moment of that night was Scott Smith had been beat up by Kung Lee for three rounds. He kept throwing that spinning back kick, and and Scott just did not have an answer for it. And uh, until at the end, he clipped Kung Lee. Kung kind of made a bit of a mistake, 
and and he he got he got pasted for it and lost his first MMA fight at that point. And Scott Smith had the the miracle in San Jose, as Mauro Ronaldo called Mauro Ronaldo called it. And uh, you can hear my colleague Josh's interview with Scott Smith in the archives where he talks about what a big deal uh, that win was. So definitely worth checking out. But going back to what I was saying earlier. Uh, this was, you know, almost 15,000 fans. So you got 18,000 and, you know, another event with 16 and then another event with 15 and another event with 14. This one with almost 15 strike force was able to draw these big crowds. And you can imagine, you know, in all of those ones that I'm mentioning right there, by the way, all the ones that I just mentioned that were drawing that many took place in San Jose. So you can imagine if, what if strike force had stayed really anchored in San Jose and done their all their big cards there and you know only did one every three months there and then you know would do smaller events out so what if they'd stayed really more west coast focused is it possible that you know probably would have gotten bought up eventually or that sort of thing but to be able to to have the fighters that they had and to be able to draw those kinds of crowds it, it's you know it, it makes you think what if and unfortunately they didn't really seem to get back to this i i don't i don't know the attendance numbers yet for the events that we we have uh we haven't covered yet but we weren't that we weren't seeing 10k plus fans for the most part. I believe one of the fader ones drew uh, 11,000, I think, in New Jersey. Uh, but there, you weren't. They weren't eclipsing double figures uh, like they used to <clears throat> later on in the in the run of, of the promotion, which again is unfortunate. But our next big moment is Robbie Lawler's destruction that was interrupted by a knockout of Melvin Manoff. This was early 2009 in Miami, Florida. Manoff just was just destroying Robbie Lawler with leg kicks. He was kicking him on the inside of the knee, inside of the thigh. And just, I mean, Lawler was, was, was limping and he was really hurt. And Melvin Manhoff thought he smelled blood and he waded in too close. And Lawler just blasted with him with the right hand. If I remember right, the stats were like Lawler only threw one punch and landed it. And that was it. And knocked it. You talk about true one, one punch knockout power. And he followed up, but, but Manhoff was out and that was a brutal, brutal uh, destruction that was reversed and Lawler had one of the biggest knockouts in strike force history no question about it and that is definitely one worth checking out the next big moment the brawl in Nashville and really in a lot of ways this was the beginning of the end for strike force in many ways they had a CBS deal at the, at that point that they had you know they had a good deal going on there and uh, there was opportunities to do these you know maybe quarterly or uh, you know, every six months or so do a big special on CBS. And once that brawl took place live on CBS and just the ugly, the ugliness. And for those that don't remember, Jake Shields had defended his title, his middleweight title against Dan Henderson in the main event. It was a pretty boring fight. Five rounds of essentially other than a, a, a really good shot that Jake ate from Hendo in the first round. Other than that, it was pretty much uh, a void of, of big highlights or anything like that, but shields with the workman like finish. And we, by the way, you can go back in the, in the archives and listen to my interview with Jake shields. He talks about the fight and then the brawl afterwards where uh, mayhem Miller had come in the case said, Hey buddy, how about my, uh, how about my rematch? And uh, the, the scrap pack took offense to this and the Diaz brothers and, and Gilbert jumped in and just, you know, turned into this big brawl inside the cage. And you got Gus Johnson. There's a gentleman, gentlemen, we're on national TV and, just a really, really ugly scene, and that was it for Strike Force on CBS. They were never invited back on, and and yeah, pretty pretty bad. The ghosts of the ghosts of Nashville still uh, still 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 causing issues, basically. But not a good time, not a positive highlight, but a big moment for sure. 
And then the next one, the the Fabricio Verdun submission of Fedor in San Jose, one of the most difficult. Uh, I, I mean, just just such a difficult moment in so many ways. Um, the way that it went down, I was there cage side. Josh and I have talked extensively about this. We were both there that night. Didn't know it. Didn't really know each other at that point. But uh, yeah, to watch Fabricio catch Fedor in a triangle at only a minute and nine into the fight, got the, the tap out and Fedor's head going bright red. And then I just, you know, it was, I just, I remember that moment looking at it going, no, this is Fedor. He's going to get out. But that early in the fight, you've got a, a world-class, I mean, not just world-class, but a, a world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu player. That's got a triangle on you with that. He got on you um, in under a minute in a fight. When there's no sweat yet, legs are still dry, skin still dry, so there's really good grip. Fedor just could there's just just nothing he could do, and he submitted him, and that was the first loss for Fedor in over a decade, and really the first legitimate loss. The other loss was a cut uh, against Tsuyoshi Kosaka, which many thought was a garbage call, and people similar to the John Jones Matt Hamill fight where Jones was disqualified for dropping the twelve to six elbows after he was dominating Hamill, and the Hamill got a win by DQ. Kind of a similar situation there, but yeah, that was the beginning of the end uh, for Fedor, obviously, because that was the first of three straight losses. And we've got just a few left here that I that I want to go over, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll look to wrap things up. But Henderson versus Babalu too. Uh, this card, there's not just one moment. This was one of the greatest, most exciting cards in Strikeforce history. Period. There was KO fever in the atmosphere in St. Louis as Robbie Lawler brutalized Matt Lindland. You got to check that knockout out, out. Lawler catches him, and Lindland does like a like a face plant thing, and then like almost like pro wrestling. Like he, he landed face down and then flipped over onto his back, like out of reflex. It was really weird. And then just in time to catch Lawler dropping another punch onto Linlin and my God, it's, it's brutal. And Linlin was out for a while and yeah, it was pretty ugly. And then you have the Paul Daly one punch KO of Scott Smith, where they were exchanging and Smith got caught right in the face and went face first. I mean, face planted right into the mat out cold, Daly knew it. Semtex had landed and yeah, pretty devastating. And then Henzo Hendo, Dan Henderson in a rematch from years ago with Bob Lou. I mean, he blitzed right through the former champion, set himself up for a title shot. Uh, and, and just, uh, I believe it was like a minute or something like that. And Hendo just, boom, man, that was pretty nasty. So some big, big knockouts on Henderson versus Bobalu, Bobalu too. Definitely a card worth checking out, which segues, to our penultimate moment, the second to the last one, Fajal versus Henderson. Hendo H-bombs Fajal to take the the light heavyweight belt. Hendo much smaller than Fajal. Fajal. I mean, it was a marked difference. You could see it. And they had a good fight. I mean, you know, Fajal got a couple in too, but Henderson ends up finally landing that right hand and, and follows up and is the new champion. And just an incredible moment. The crowd's going crazy and and just I mean Hendo was just such a a big deal such a big signing for Strike Force and then you know ends up winning the light heavyweight belt after failing to get the middleweight title and you know former Pride champion and just you know one of the greats no question one of the greats in MMA uh, and so it was it was fun to see that and then finally the other the, the last big moment that I want to mention was Diaz versus Daly, which turned into possibly the best one round fight in strike force history. You had two guys that again, were not afraid to talk, even though there was definitely respect between Nick Diaz and Paul Daly. These were two guys that were going to look to take each other's heads off. Although Diaz had no problem going to the ground if he felt like he needed to. And man, you know, this is one of those fights where 
Daly had his moments. Uh, he had Diaz in trouble at one point. He he landed a punch and had him in trouble, and Diaz had wrapped him up. And you know he was telling the ref he was all right. He was able to get back to his feet, and that volume punching eventually catches up with you. And and Daly just did not have the answer for it. And it was a a really masterful performance. I think that Diaz had better fights in terms of just kind of from a strategy standpoint. And some of the you know the Scott Smith fight was. Uh, just a clinic. I mean, such a great fight for Nick Diaz. Obviously, the Frank Shamrock. I mean, D- Nick was never in a boring fight in Strike Force. I mean, it was he was just I, for all the talk of Gilbert and some of the other guys. I mean, no guy put on a streak in Strike Force like Nick Diaz did over the course of just a couple of years. I mean, just an amazing, amazing streak. The K- the KJ Nunes fight also such an awesome fight. So fun to watch that one too. And then this Diaz versus Daly, it turned out to be Nick Diaz's last fight with Strike Force, and it was actually his second to the last win as well. He had he would end up vacating the title. I uh, was supposed to take on GSP, had some some issues with making making PR dates and flights and stuff like that. And so instead he ended up beating BJ Penn. And that was as of the re- this recording in uh, November of 2021. That was his last win. And that was 10 years ago, which is, again, just just pretty crazy. But uh, there there was some. So as we've gone through this, this has been fun for me to talk about all these big, great moments that were, you know, that we that we experienced. And Josh and I have had a lot of fun covering, uh, you know, covering these and just going through each and every one of them, getting to watch them. And some of them I'd never seen before. Some of them I was watching again for the first time in years. But it's been exciting to get through all of these. And, I, again, I've really, really enjoyed it. And then I hope that you've enjoyed going on the ride with us. And we've got a lot more coming up. Josh will be back next week, and we're going to talk about Fedor versus Henderson, another heartbreaking moment for uh, for, for, <laughs> for uh, Fedor fans such as myself and Josh. But this one's got some big fights on it as well. Tarek Safadine versus Scott Hands of Steel Smith. Tim Kennedy taking on Robbie Lawler. And when I interviewed Tim Kennedy, unfortunately the audio went bad, but I had asked him if there was one fight strike force or not that really stuck out in in his mind as like this is the Tim Kennedy that I would want you know fans to see he said it was he mentioned this fight with Robbie Lawler as being kind of the definitive signature one for him so I'm looking forward to I've actually never seen it before so I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, and then Tyron Woodley's back and he takes on Paul Daly uh, then we have a title fight this is uh, Misha Tate battling Marlos Kunin to 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 vie for her women's bantamweight title so I'm I'm looking forward uh, to covering that one and then in the main event of course Dan Henderson taking on Fedor Emelianenko Hendo that you know who could make 185 taking on a legit heavyweight in Fedor although I feel like Fedor could have made light heavyweight if he really wanted to do that but yeah I was uh I, this is this was a tough one to watch I have seen that fight before and that it was definitely a a tough one to watch uh so yeah but I'm I'm looking forward to covering that one uh we do have some other fighter interviews that are that are in the works I'm working on um, trying to get some some uh, yeah I'm just I'm working on trying to get some other ones and uh, King Mo's agreed to be on the show and and so we're gonna ha- we're gonna do that at, at some point and I got some others earmarked as well so I'm looking forward to that uh, but with that I, I, again I appreciate you you checking in you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at the Hexagon Pod you can reach me at fill it inside the Hexagon dot com but with that we're gonna go ahead and ride off in the sunset hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy and we will see you soon.
Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 